Many Christians in our culture enjoy the blessings of God without ever asking why they have been blessed. Could it be that God has blessed us both spiritually and physically for a greater purpose than our own comfort? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find other free resources like our brand new daily devotional podcast with David Platt called Pray the Word on our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's sermon, based on Psalm 67, David Platt helps us connect God's blessings with his mission in the world, a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation. So here's David with a sermon titled, Taking on the World from Psalm 67. <laughs> Si Dios te preguntara, ¿por qué debe de arte entrar en mi cielo? Usted quiere respondería. La Biblia nos afirma que podemos tener vida eterna. El cielo es un regalo, Romanos 3, 23, dice, por cuanto todos pecaron destituidos de la gloria de Dios. No hay vida eterna en buenas obras o en ser miembro de alguna iglesia. El cielo es un regalo, Romanos 6, 23, dice, el regalo de Dios es vida eterna en Cristo Jesús, Señor nuestro. Now, okay, so you're aiming and clapping, but I'm guessing nobody understood a thing I just said because, well, one of two things, either number one, you don't know Spanish, or number two, you know Spanish really well, and I've just obliterated the Spanish language over the last minute or so. Don't, don't aim in that, but yeah, I mean, so that's, uh, so I, I remember the first time I ever went to a Spanish-speaking country on a mission trip. And so I didn't know any Spanish, but I thought, oh, I sure would be able to share the gospel. I would love to be able to share the gospel in Spanish. And so I just found a gospel presentation in Spanish and, and did my best to memorize it. And uh, so it's kind of cool to be in a country where literally the only thing you could communicate was the gospel. Um, it was a little awkward at times, so I, I'd go up to people and say hola, which, so I learned that much. Um, uh, and then, so we'd kind of look at each other, and there'd be awkward silence, and then and just start sharing the gospel. And uh, they would stop me along the way to ask questions or make comments. And I had no clue what they were saying. <laughs> so I just kind of look at them and be like, huh. And I just keep going on with my gospel presentation. But I wanted to learn some more Spanish. So uh, we were playing with kids during the day. And I wanted to tell some of these little guys that they were strong. And so I just asked somebody, how do you say strong in Spanish? And they said, well, the Spanish word for strong is fuerte. And so I went up uh, all, all day long that day. I'd go up to little guys. I'd kind of grab their muscles and be like, you, puerta. And uh, I'd kind of look at them and make motion. You, puerta, puerta. And they're laughing while I find out later why they're laughing. Some of you know that the Spanish word for strong is fuerta, but I was saying puerta, which means door. And so all day long, going up and grabbing kids' muscles, being like, ooh, door, door, door. So, uh, so the next day I thought I'd try again. We were playing soccer with uh, these kids and I wanted to tell some of the uh, kids when they missed the goal, good, good try. And so I said, how do you say good try? And they said, say uh, buen hecho. So good actor, good try. 
was like, okay, I can do that. So I would go up to kids, and whenever I saw Mr. Goal, I'd just kind of pull him aside and be like, oh, boy, no chase, boy, no chase. And, uh, and <laughs> I'd see him across the field, Mr. Goal, and be like, boy, no chase. And obviously, you know, boy, no chase does not mean good actor, good try. It means good night. So every time the poor kid missed the goal, I'd just kind of pull him aside and be like, good night, kid, good night. <laughs> or yell it across the field at him. Now, all of this was compounded and made worse by the fact that I was leading this uh, mission team. And so when we got down there, I, I, I told them, I gathered everybody together. And I said, listen, we're going to go out there today and uh, people are going to start speaking Spanish to us. And we need to be able to communicate that we don't understand what they're saying. So I said, here's, here I am teaching Spanish to this team. I said, here's what we need to say. And we're going to practice these lines together. I gave them three lines. I said, okay, so the first thing, when somebody starts speaking Spanish to you, just look back at them and say, no comprende, which I thought meant I don't understand or I don't comprehend. And then I said, and then you say, no habla espanol, which I thought meant I don't speak Spanish. And then say, lo siento, which means I'm sorry. So we practiced it together. No comprende, no habla espanol, lo siento. We went out all day long and our team was faithful to do the lines their teacher had taught them. Uh, but we all know when you change one small letter in any language, it changes the entire meaning of what you've communicated. So our team would go out, people would start speaking Spanish to us. We would look back at them and say, no comprende, which I told them meant I don't understand or I don't comprehend, but actually means you don't understand. <laughs> you, you don't comprehend. So no comprendo would have been much more appropriate. Similarly, no habla espanol, instead of meaning I don't speak Spanish actually means you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> so all day long, people would come up to us, start speaking Spanish. We would look at them and say, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't speak your own language. I'm sorry. And we'd walk away. <laughs> so somewhere along the way, there were some basics in the Spanish language that I had missed. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to dive into a basic truth in Scripture that I'm convinced many people have completely missed across the church in our day. I know in my own life, so I put myself in this category, growing up in the church, I totally missed this for many years. And I remember, like it was yesterday, the first time I ever heard someone walk from cover to cover through Scripture and show this truth. And it was one of those jaw-on-the-ground kind of moments where I just sat there and realized, this changes everything. And that truth I heard on that day totally changed the trajectory of my entire life. And so this morning, I want, I want to show it to you. As part of this series, Together and Forward here at McLean, so last week, I sought to show you that God wants this church to move together and forward, trembling at his word. Today, my aim is to show you that God wants this church to move together and forward, taking on the world. And I want to show it to you all over Scripture. We're going to start right here in the middle in Psalm 67. And I'm simply going to read the first two verses. Follow along with me. Psalm chapter 67, verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us 
and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. There it is. One simple, significant truth. We'll split it into two parts. If you're taking notes, here's the first part. The first part of this fundamental truth. God desires to bless us. God desires to bless us. That's the first part, and that alone is breathtaking to think about. Verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. God desires to bless us with his grace. This is huge. We live in a world where every other major religion claims that God's blessing is earned by what we do for him. If we do this or that, then we can receive the blessing of God. But not here in Psalm 67. Here, God's blessing is not based on who we are or what we do. God's blessing is based on who He is and what He does for us by His grace. Oh, non-Christian friend, hear this. Because this is the central message of the entire Bible. Every one of us in this gathering has sinned against God and we deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity. But God, in his grace, has made a way for us to be saved from our sin. He has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin so that any one of us in this gathering, no matter who we are and no matter what we have done, by simply trusting in his love for us, we can be saved from all of our sins forever. It's the greatest news in all the world. God blesses us, not based on what we can do for him, but based on what Christ has done for us. So we invite you to receive the grace of God today. And followers of Christ, I invite you to rest and rejoice in this grace. So in a gathering full of broken and hurting people, men and women, students who have had people in your lives love you for a little while and then leave you, who've had people love you only to let you down, Know this, the love of Almighty God will never leave you and will never let you down. God desires to bless you. Now, we could stop here because this is where we most often stop. God loves us, God blesses us, and then we stop. But that's not where the psalm stops. Look at it. Psalm 67, verse 1, doesn't say, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, period. No, that, that's not a period. That's a comma. And there's more that comes after that. There's a purpose clause that comes after that. So here's the deal. We could easily stop right here and say, all right, we've talked about the blessing of God. We could just camp out there for the next few minutes. Say, great sermon. We go home feeling good about the blessing of God. But that would miss the entire point of this text. Because the text beckons us to say, okay, God desires to bless us, but why? Why does God desire to bless us? Is there a purpose behind God's blessing. And this is the question we 
fail to ask. We know we've experienced the blessing of God, but we don't stop and ask, why? The psalmist does, though, and he gives the answer, verse 2. That, so that, purpose clause. Here's why. So that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. That's the why. So here's the truth. One simple, significant truth. If you're taking notes, God desires to bless us, but not put a period on it, go home. God desires to bless us so that we might make his glory known in all nations. Then you've got the period. God desires to bless us so that we might make his way, his salvation, his power, his glory known in all nations. And that is a truth that penetrates every single page of the Bible. This is not just one text. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you 20 scriptures over the next couple of minutes. Don't get worried. We're not going to be here all morning. We're going to fly through these. We won't have time to turn to all of them, but you might write them down. I just, I want you to hear them from cover to cover in scripture. I want you to see this truth across all the Bible, starting in the very first chapter. So first Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, talks about God's creation of man and woman in his image. God created man and woman in his image, and the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That's verse 27, and then you get to verse 28, and the Bible says God blessed them, so here's blessing, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So the picture is, God from the very beginning of creation was blessing man and woman, made in his image. But it's not stopping there. He's blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, fill the earth with my image, with my blessing. Make my glory known through my image in you all over the world. Multiply. So that's the very beginning of the Bible. We know a couple chapters later, sin enters the world, mars the image of God in man. But God, in his mercy, is still blessing sinners you get a few chapters later, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This would be the second one. When God takes an idolater, a sinner named Abram, and he calls him to himself. He says, I'm going to make you into a people, and I'm going to bless you, Abram. He says in verse, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And then listen to what he says in verse 3. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you, for the spread of my glory to all the peoples of the earth. You're going to be a conduit of my blessing. It's not intended to stop with you. It's going to spread through you. You're going to receive my grace and then spread my glory. The Bible says, verse 3, to all the peoples of the earth. Abraham has a son. Abraham's son's name is Isaac. Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. God says the same thing to Isaac. He says, your offspring is going to be like the stars in the sky. And then God says, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to give you all this offering. I'm going to bless you greatly, Isaac, so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Isaac has a son named 
Jacob, Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. God says to Jacob, your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. They're going to spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. That was a really stout promise because Jacob was a single guy at that point. Didn't even have a wife. This is good news for a single guy in a patriarchal culture. You're going to have descendants like the dust of the earth. Uh, so why, why is God blessing him in this way? He says, so that through you, all the peoples of the earth will know my blessing. So from the very beginning of the Bible, we're seeing this set up. God is doling out extravagant promises to his people of grace for the spread of his glory to all people so that all the peoples, all the nations of the earth will know him. So that's the first book of the Bible. You turn the page to the next book of the Bible. You come to Exodus. Start asking the question, why? Why is God doing what he's doing? So take Exodus chapter 14, for example. Why? After God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt, he leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. Why? This was not a helpful military maneuver. He brings them to a dead end where there's this huge body of water in front of them and the Egyptian army is right behind them about to overtake them. Why would God do that? On Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, he says why. God says, I've brought you to the edge of the Red Sea so that I might gain glory for myself. And the Egyptians are going to know that I am the Lord. When he splits that sea in half, he sends his people through on dry land, and that water comes crashing down on the Egyptians. He said, they're going to know who I am. I'm going to, his words are, Exodus 14, 4. God blesses people by splitting a sea in half. Why? To gain glory for himself, that the nations might know that he is the Lord. It's all the stories. Think about the stories we love to tell our kids. I think about Joshua in the battle of Jericho. Joshua chapter five and six. Remember at the end of Joshua chapter five, he's, uh, Joshua's kind of off by himself looking at this huge city with its massive walls all the way around it, trying to think through how are we going to take this city. And basically he had five military options available to him in that day. The city with all its massive walls. Uh, number one, they could try to go over the walls. Number two, they could try to go under the walls. Number three, they could try to break through the walls. Number four, they could send a decoy in, kind of like a Trojan horse type thing. Or number five, they could starve the people inside the walls, make them come out. So he's got five, five military options available to him. Over, under, through, send the decoy in, starve and make them come out. Well, God comes to him at the end of Joshua chapter five and he says, here's the battle plan. So Joshua in his mind's thinking, all right, over, under, through, decoy, starve and make them come out. And God says, I want you to get your trumpet players and uh, you guys are gonna play some tunes for a few days and uh, then here's the climax. Uh, so one day after you played some songs, you're gonna shout. A real loud shout. And the walls will come down and you'll take the city. That's unusual. So if you're Joshua, you're wanting a second opinion at this point, right? Like, like put yourself in Joshua's shoes. You're about to go back to an army that has trained for an entire generation for war. They are ready for battle. And you're about to go back to them, look in front of them and say, uh, hey guys, I know you're ready for battle, but we're, we're going to... Uh, we're going to hand this one to the music guys. <laughs> I know I've been to the music guys, but I just don't think that's, that's what everybody had in mind. So why? Why? Why was God designing this battle plan for the first major city in the promised land? Don't miss it. He's doing what he does all throughout scripture. God is orchestrating the events of his people so that in the end, only he gets the glory for what happens. 
Let me tell you what you don't see in Joshua chapter six. When they take that city, just like God had told them to take it, what you don't see is all the Israelites going up to the trumpet players, telling them what an incredible job they did that day. Like, Ralph, I've never heard you play that well. Like, Harry, you hit the high C. It was awesome. We went running in. No, you see the people on their faces saying, only God could have done this. God's blessing his people for the spread of his glory. Think about other stories we love. Think about Daniel chapter three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why, why, why would God let three Hebrew boys be thrown into a fiery furnace for standing up in devotion for him? Well, if we just tell that story and we don't get to the end, we miss the whole point. Daniel 3, 28 and 29 tells us that as soon as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of that fiery furnace without a drop of sweat on their brow, there's a pagan king who declares that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is able to save his people and is worthy of glory throughout this land. God did that for his glory. Same thing three chapters later, Daniel chapter six. Why would God let Daniel be thrown into a lion's den for having a quiet time? That'll make you think twice about having your quiet time. This is what God does. Why? So that, get to the end of the story. Daniel 6, 25 and 26 tells us that as soon as Daniel comes out the next morning, not having been touched by those lions, another pagan king declares the God of Daniel deserves praise throughout this land. God is blessing his people for the spread of his glory among all peoples, among all the nations. Think about why was Solomon so wise? We know he was wise. Why? 1 Kings 10, 1 through 9 tells us he was wise so that pagan queen, Queen Sheba, would come see his wisdom and she from her lips gives glory to his God. So it's stories, it's the Psalms. I mean, it's right here in Psalms. Psalms we love. Think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he leads me and guides me in paths of righteousness why for his name's sake why does God lead and guide you as a good shepherd he does it for the sake of his name for the sake of his glory it's the Psalms it's the prophets you think about uh Isaiah 43 One of the most beautiful pictures of God speaking to his people in all the Bible when he says, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned because I am the Lord your God and you are precious and honored in my sight and I love you. Just talking about grace and blessing poured out on sinful people. But then you get to verse 47. Ask the question, why? And God says, you're a people who I have created for my glory. For my glory and the nations around you. Maybe one of the most explicit places in the prophets, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22 and 23, when God is recounting what he has done and what he's about to do among his people, listen to what he says. Follow closely. God says to his people, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, the name you have profaned among the nations, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. God literally says to his people, when I bless you, it's not for your sake. It's for the sake of my name among the nations. Now, is that just Old Testament God? Is this 
The New Testament? Well, you turn the page of the New Testament and you see the good news of God come to us. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And then where does every one of those gospel accounts end? With Take this grace, this blessing, and make it known in all the nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15. Go preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24, 44 through 49. Jesus died so that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in all the nations. And Luke picks up that account in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Talk about blessing. He says, you will receive, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Talk about grace from God. The Holy Spirit, Christian, is living inside of you. You have the power of God's Spirit inside of you. Amen. Why? So that you might be a witness to His glory from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. His blessing for the spread of his glory among the nations. And Paul knew this when he talks in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He's talking about how Christ revealed himself to Paul. And listen to what, how Paul describes it. He says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that, so why, Paul? Purpose clause, why? Why was God pleased to reveal Jesus to you? Of all people, Paul, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that, Paul says, I might preach him among the Gentiles, among the nations. He knew that the reason he had come to Christ was to proclaim Christ to the nations. This is why Romans chapter 15, verse 20 and 21, he says, the driving ambition of my life is to see the way, the saving power of Christ known where he has not been named. Peter says the same thing, 2 Peter 3, 9. The desire of God is for all people to know his love, his salvation. And the reality is, so we started this journey in the very beginning of the Bible, end of the Bible, Revelation chapter seven, verse nine and 10 tells us all of history is headed toward the day when a multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people will gather around the throne of our God singing salvation belongs to him and to the lamb who sits on the throne. God has given us a book and orchestrated all of history to end on the day when he is receiving glory, honor, and praise for his grace from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So this is, this is the final, ultimate, all-consuming, glorious Guaranteed global purpose of God. God blesses his people so that they might make his glory known among all nations. That's the truth. It is cover to cover in scripture. So then here's the question we must ask in light of that truth. As individuals in this room, and we must ask this in the church. Have we disconnected the blessing of God from the purpose of God? Have we disconnected God's blessing from its intended purpose? You say, what do you mean? Disconnect the blessing of God from the purpose of God. So how, how do we do that? Well, let me give you an example. I think if I were to walk into the average church in our country this morning and just to ask the average person sitting in a seat to sum up the message of Christianity. What's the message of Christianity? I think the response I would hear is probably something along the lines of, well, the message of Christianity is that God loves me. Or that, that God loves me enough to send his son Jesus to die for me. That is the essence of Christianity. 
what we're seeing this morning is that that is not the essence of biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity doesn't say God loves me or God loves me enough to send his son Jesus to die for me and that's it. Because if that's it, well, do a little English class with me for a second. If God loves me is the essence of Christianity, then who is the object of Christianity? God loves me. Therefore, Christianity is about me. When I come to church, it's about me. It's about music that fits my preference. It's, it's about my life and my plans and my dreams and my family. It's about my portfolio and my comfortability. What I think is best for my life. But what I want to say to you based on the authority of God's word is that God's, God loves me is not the essence of Christianity. Christianity does not say, biblical Christianity does not say, God loves me, put a period on it, go home. Biblical Christianity says God loves me so that his grace, his way, his salvation, his power, his glory might be made known in all nations. Now who's the object of Christianity? God is. And everything centers around him. Christianity is not ultimately about us. It's about him and him being made known in all the nations. Now you might say, wait a minute. God blesses me so that his glory might be made known in all nations. So are you saying that God has an ulterior motive in blessing me? That God has an ulterior motive in loving me? Is that, is that what you're saying? And I want to be crystal clear. That is not what I am saying. That is what God is saying. God is saying from cover to cover in his word. He has blessed you. He's saved you. Loves you for a purpose. And that purpose is his glory in all the world. God does all that he does for his glory among the nations. He's written a book that ends with him getting glory from all the peoples of the world. God does all that he does for one ultimate purpose, to exalt himself. <laughs> and if it rubs you wrong that God lives to exalt himself, well, I would just ask you the follow-up question. Who else would you rather him exalt? You? Me? This or that? No, he's God. At the very moment he were to exalt someone or something else, he would no longer be the God who is worthy of all exaltation. And he is. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not at the center of God's universe. I am not at the center of God's universe. God is at the center of his universe and everything revolves around him. Amen. Now, I want to be careful here because... I want us to see that this does not take away from the magnitude of God's love for you and me. Think about it. How has God chosen to show his glory most clearly to the world? By sending his son to save us from our sin. Praise be to God, this is the gospel. God glorifies himself, how? By reconciling sinners like you and me to himself, that we might know him and enjoy him as we glorify him. 
So see it, McLean Bible Church, based on the authority of God's word. I say to you, God has been gracious to this church. God has blessed this church. God's face has shone upon this church. Why? So that his way, his salvation, his glory might be made known in all nations. So that this church, full of the blessing of God, might take on the world for the glory of God. Do you realize what this means? God has a global purpose for this local church. Now, here's another place I want to be careful because this is the point where people might start to think, oh, okay, so this is a mission sermon. Oh, yeah, like you're president of a mission organization. Oh, now I get it. Oh, I was totally bought in until now. I realized, of course, you would preach this. This is where I just want to beg you. Please do not walk out of this gathering today and say that was a good missions sermon. Don't even say it was a bad mission sermon. Just, just, just whatever, good or bad, doesn't matter. Just don't call it a missions sermon. This is not a missions sermon because this is what we've done. We've taken the very purpose of God in all of history and we've turned it into a compartmentalized program in the church for a few people who are called to that. Oh, you're passionate about the glory of God among the nations? Well, okay, you must be a missionary. And this is what I thought. When I, when I sort of seeing this from cover to cover in God's word, learning more about the world, the places where the gospel's not even gone yet, I thought it's a no-brainer. I need to go. I need to move to another nation. I remember when I was in seminary, Heather and my wife and I were wrestling through that. And there was one particular day when the uh, then president of the International Mission Board, who's in the position I'm in now, was coming to our campus and he uh, uh, was pre- preaching in chapel. And I'd been asked to take him to breakfast. And so the night before, I said, I'm taking this leader of a missions organization to breakfast in the morning. I said, I think I'm going to tell him all the things we've been talking about. Like, we're ready to go. Is that okay with you? And she said, yes, that's okay with me. And so, uh, so I go to breakfast the next morning. And as soon as we sit down, I just start pouring out my heart. I see this in the word. I see the need in the world. So my wife and I are ready to, to go. We're ready to be missionaries. How do, how do we start? And he looked back at me, and for about 30 seconds, he encouraged me in what I had just said. But then he spent the rest of breakfast talking to me about the need for pastors to shepherd local churches to spin themselves for the spread of God's global glory. That's all he talked to me about. And I was so confused. Like, I went home that night, and Heather's like, how did it go? Like, where are we going? And I, I said, I think the president of the International Mission Board just talked me out of becoming a missionary. <laughs> and she's like, what did you say? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Did I come across wrong? I, 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 so I, I look back at that conversation, though, and I am so thankful. Because here's what happened on that day. This brother created a category in my mind that I don't think was there before. I'm looking back, I don't know why it wasn't there, but it wasn't there, and I got a feeling for many people it's not there. So here's the category that he created for me. So there's a category, there's a type of person 
who is passionate, zealous for the spread of the gospel and God's glory to all nations, but does not become a missionary. I don't know, there's somebody that, that actually exists out there. And then I started thinking about it more and I started thinking, well, of course there's that category. It's called a Christian. Right? I mean, what? what? Okay, if you're passionate about the glory of God among the nations, you become a missionary. And for everybody who doesn't care about God's glory among the nations, you stay here. I know, that makes no sense. The spirit of Christ wants the world for Christ. Christian, do you have the spirit of Christ in you? Amen. Then do you want the world for Christ? I mean, driven with zeal, with passion to see the nations know he is God. This is not just for missionaries. This is for every single follower of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, global mission is not, definitively not a program in the church. Global mission is the purpose of your life. Global mission is not a program in the church. It's the reason we have breath. You have been given breath and life and salvation and a family and a job and resources and whatever else the Lord has given you for a reason. And that reason is the spread of his glory among the nations. You realize that? You see that in the Bible? It'll change the way you look at your life and your family and your job and your resources and the church. And you'll realize that every one of us in this gathering and all of us together in the church have a choice. So we have a choice. We can coast through this life in a nice, comfortable Christian spin on the American dream and totally miss the purpose for which we are here. Or we can lay down our lives, compelled by the blessing of God. And we can say, Lord, however you want, however you want, use my life, use my family, use my time, use my money, use my gifts, use my talents, use this church to make your glory known among the nations. And I'm not assuming that will look the same for all of us. Without question, it will look different for each of us. Last night, uh, before the gathering, I was talking with a member of this church who is using his profession to get the gospel to a place that it's really hard to get the gospel to in the world. And I just sat there with joy, thinking about the sovereign creativity of God and the way he leads people in different ways. Do not underestimate for a second the part God has for you, Christian, to play in the spread of his glory among the nations. And don't underestimate the role God has for this church to play. Particularly in a part of the world where God has so evidently brought the nations to you. God has brought the nations to Metro DC. So live for the glory of God among the nations right here. And then for the glory of God among the nations far from here. This is God's design for McLean Bible Church. Every single member working together with zeal, passion, drive to take all the grace God has given and use it for all his glory in all the world. So let, me, let me close with this. You, you and I know this truth goes completely against the grain of everything in our culture. Everything in our culture screams, do what's best for you, right where you live. Not what's best for God and his glory in the nations. So I read an article one day 
in a magazine about how our culture defines success in the world. Let me read an excerpt of it to you. It's, it's about retirement. The article tells retirees that what's most important is, quote unquote, getting a life. Whatever it is, the article says, work, faith, family, hobbies, or just puttering around the yard, retirees need to find those things or something new that matters most to them to sustain themselves in retirement. It is important to know yourself, the article says, and have certain passions you can indulge. Example, in Miami, Robert credits a willingness to be flexible for a comfortable retirement. 66, he retired almost two years ago. He and his wife, Pat, have a spacious home in a Miami suburb where real estate values have more than doubled since they bought. They have season tickets to the Miami Dolphins, his, and the Miami Heat, hers. He plays golf three times a week, and they have a timeshare condo in St. Martin. Even his health seems to be better, largely because he has more time to walk and play golf. Pat's no slouch either, having taken cooking, sewing, tennis, and golf classes, as well as doing some modeling in her retirement. You take what the fates give you, Robert says. I consider myself a very blessed person. Success, according to our culture. And there's Christian spins on that that we've bought into across the church. But brothers and sisters, we've got to ask the question. When we stand before God in heaven to give an account for what we've done with the blessing he has poured out on us, what are we going to say? God, check out my portfolio. God, did you catch my golf game? Did you see me play tennis? Did you see all the food I ate after those cooking classes? So just two weeks after reading that article in that magazine, I read another article about success in the same magazine. The first article was pretty long. The second one was pretty short. I'll read an excerpt of it to you. Paul and Aretta Burnham said they always expected a happy ending, even though their son and his wife had been held hostage by extreme Muslims in a particular country for more than a year. But just after 3 a.m. last Friday, they discovered that wasn't to be. Their son, Martin, 42, was killed during a rescue attempt. His wife, Gracia, 43, was wounded during the gun battle that ensued, but freed. The couple were Kansas missionaries. CNN reported that Martin Burnham told his wife two days before he died that he had a premonition something would happen. And he wrote a letter saying goodbye to his children, ages 11, 12, and 15. Martin Burnham shot and killed on the mission field in this particular country. Now you might think, wait a minute, David, I thought you said this story was also about success. How can you say that someone who was shot and killed by Muslim extremists is a success? Here's how I can say that. Martin Burnham breathed his last breath in that particular country. And the very next instant, he was transformed into the presence of Jesus Christ. And there he bowed before him and began to sing his praises, giving him the glory that he is due in an eternal joy that you and I in this gathering cannot even begin to fathom. And you know where Martin Burnham is today? He's in the same place. You know where Martin Burnham is going to be two billion years from now? Sure, he wasn't able to walk and play golf and take cooking classes, but two billion years from now, he's going to be in the same place, experiencing the same joy because he connected the blessing of God with the purpose of God. Now, the Bible is not saying by any means that every person should move overseas and die for the spread of the gospel, but the Bible is saying 
that every follower of Christ and this church, McLean Bible Church, has been created, called, blessed by God for one all-consuming, all-captivating, all-encompassing purpose. To live, give, pray, go, sin, and sacrifice for the spread of God's glory among all the nations. And no one in this room will regret for a minute in heaven living and dying for that purpose on earth. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. And as always, you can find thousands of free gospel equipping resources, radical.net. Do you have any feedback on podcasts from Radical or ideas for future podcasts that you'd like us to consider? If so, email us, podcast at radical.net. That's podcast at radical.net. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us over at Radical.net.